What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're up to, including all of our other lovely little podcasts over at blisterreview.com. All right, well, today is the day. It is time for our annual catch-up with Momentski's CEO, Luke Jacobson, where we go over the Momentski's upcoming lineup and where I find as many opportunities as I can to make fun of Luke and then also offer him very sound business advice, which you will see and I think you will agree with me when you listen to this conversation. But anyway, that is the agenda. We are working through the whole lineup. We are going to be talking about the Commander series and all of the updates there. Of course, we're going to get into some base material nerdery and then some sidewall nerdery. Then we're going to go through the Wildcat series. We will have a little interlude to talk about ski lengths. We'll talk about moments touring skis, the women's skis, the Kami, the Frankenblade, and then we'll wrap, as we do now, with a little segment of what we're celebrating this week. So yeah, that is what we have on tap. Let's go ahead and get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Luke Jacobson. Luke Jacobson, evidently, it's that time of year, whatever time of year that is, I guess, where uh, we do our kind of annual check-in update probably end up yelling at each other a little bit about various things. So are you ready for this? Are you prepared? Yeah, let's do it. What What is this, number four? Blister has made me lose all sense of time and years and anything. So if you told me this was like the 20th time we've done this, I would probably believe you, but um, somewhere between four and 20, let's say. Perfect, perfect, yeah. First of all, you're evidently alive. Are you well? Yeah, yeah, things are things are good here. You know, obviously COVID has changed the world a bunch. Like it's Nevada's not doing that great, uh, as far as the state. But um, you know, we we shut down for like a week because of like the rules. I think we mi- we, well, we misunderstood them. I thought we had to. We didn't as a manufacturer. And so but we just shut down for like a week is all and, and did like a little protocol safety reset. Um, with all the employees and, 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 you know, put some new procedures in place and, and whatnot. And then, yeah, like just personally and, and everyone that I know where everyone's just kind of laying low and just getting outside doing their own thing. And I personally don't know anyone who, who's been, uh, officially sick with, uh, with COVID. My roommate actually was super sick and he got two tests that came back negative, but I don't know. He was like, sickest he's ever been so i didn't go home for like two weeks when he was staying there he was quarantined in the house and i stayed at my girlfriend's place (laughs) but you know beyond that he's he's uh he's 100 now but yeah beyond that we're just uh taking it one day at a time and and just waiting for the snow to fly just kind of curious i mean when covid put a very abrupt halt to like chairlifts spinning kind of everywhere how did you guys handle that and how much did that affect kind of your R&D season? I mean, did you end up feeling like pretty good about the amount of time you were able to get, you know, I take it just skinning up stuff and, and still feeling like you were able to dial things in? Or was it like quite different from a typical spring for you all? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Last, last winter was like, was different before COVID even hit, you know, because we don't go to the trade shows anymore. And, uh, typically what happens is, is like the big ski brands are like, have to be so far ahead in their, their R and D and what they're releasing for the following season and, and yada, yada. And then ha- they all have to have samples and these skis that are dialed by the trade shows, even earlier for people to get on them and test them and, and so on and so forth. And we used to conform to that model. And, um, before COVID even hit, we decided that it's like, why are we like getting all these skis ready for, you know, like the trade shows in January, February, like we're not going That's stupid. Like we have a great relationship with our retailers and that we currently have. And, and the growth comes from demand and consumers asking for the skis at different ski shops. And so like, like 
some of them we get samples to, but a lot of them just need to see like a picture and the dimensions and the graphics and what we're doing and, and so on and so forth. So what we did is, is we already planned on spending more time to really R&D the skis and dial them in for the following season, you know? And um, so we tried a lot of different stuff that we maybe like would have been like, nah, that idea is too wild. Like, we're not going to try that. It's a waste of time. And just try to narrow in the prototypes just to, just to make it happen quick, right? And efficient. And so we dragged that out a little bit longer. And I think we made more prototypes this last winter than we maybe ever have. Like, probably more than what we usually make in, like, two winters. So that was going really, really well. And we made some tweaks to the line that we'll talk about that we're really excited about. Then COVID hit and the resort shut down. And it was very difficult to prototype skis. Um, we were on, you know, really deep into like different revisions of skis and, and trying to pick what maybe the final one was for production. And these were for resort skis, not touring skis. And we, the resort shut down. So what we did is we started below Mount Rose. There's a little ski resort called Sky Tavern. And you can actually drive like the road that goes up to Mount Road to kind of Mount Rose loops around Sky Tavern. So you can just kind of do shuttle laps in your truck um, because these are resort skis. So we wanted to test them with resort bindings. You know, we're working on the new commander series with all the metal. So like we needed a stout binding to push that ski to test it properly. And even when we test touring skis, we still test touring skis with touring bindings and boots at the resort as well as backcountry just to get more time on them. It's a lot more efficient, obviously. So um, yeah, we spent a lot of time in the back of pickup trucks lapping um sky tavern doing a lot of touring uh using some cast setups to have a real binding on things to push these resort skis and and doing um a lot more touring um but we we made it happen and um yeah we're it, it was more challenging than expected but uh it was still fun and you know it kept us outside and so that so that was good pickup truck beds are the new sleds i hear yeah yeah it's uh, it's way easier, way, way cheaper, you know. Um. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. We're going to march through this lineup, the 2021 lineup. So let's get started with the Commander series. What's going on there? Commanders, those are probably the skis that got uh, the most love last year. Um, the Commander series still comes in a uh, couple different waist widths, 98, 108, 118. And then for a lot of the Alaska Heliop folks, we make like a specialty 124. The 118 and the 124 are essentially unchanged besides the core change on the 118, which is the same core change on the 98 and the 108, which I'll talk about. So the 98 and the 108, essentially received all the same tweaks. Um, they just have their own unique waist widths and side cuts. So what we did with that ski is, you know, it was, that's our directional charger ski. A lot of people, especially some of our athletes that work with like our Scandinavian distributor, they wanted a tour version of the Commander 98. And we decided to start testing that last year and just see if, I mean, we, we kicked around the idea, but, you know, directional touring ski at that waist with like, yeah, a lot of people have that. It's not very different, but still the idea was to try and make that type of ski better. Um, what happened is, is when we took some of the weight out of the commander, which wasn't super heavy to begin with, um, and put a, one of our more traditional um, tour builds into it. And um, essentially, we still wanted to put Tetanol in that ski. And um, so we were still putting Tetanol in a tour ski, but it was a lot less. And um, when we started testing that ski, um, we found, I guess, I don't know, like some issues, I guess. Like it wasn't as stout as we wanted it to be, you know, uh, last year's commander, last couple of years, the, it had a quite a bit of tip taper on there. The side cut was pretty set back on that ski and just kind of all these like little issues that 
the weight and the more tetanol and things in the production model were kind of, I guess, masking or helping really, really show their face on the lighter side of the ski. And so we started making changes to the tour model, like making the side cut longer, flattening out the tail. And then we had to go through multiple revisions to get the side cut right where we wanted it more than just extending it out. And then we're like, wow, this tour ski is like working really well. What if we built this like a stock version? And it was funny because the tour version is what made us want to change the commander. And there, just to clarify, there is no commander tour um, in production. But anyway, so we started putting these design changes into the, the stock build. And we're like, wow, man, this is, this is pretty rad. This, is, this ski rips like way harder. And it's still like manageable for a ski that's like, so stout and we're like well what if we you know like fossa our main sales and marketing guy he he always says uh, overkill is underrated um so we're like well let's just keep on going let's make it beefier and beefier and like see what happens and so we we made all these little um changes and you know previously the commander had an asp and an ash core ash being like the harder denser wood in the core that that adds a lot of the weight and the dampness to the ski and we're like, well, you know what, how can we make that this ski even damper, you know, cause we just found that the ski side cut and now with the, the revised camber rocker profile, like really just wanted to go faster and, but you need this ski stout enough to hold up to that. And so we started playing with some different, um, core materials. And uh, we had the best results with European beach. So we bring that in from Europe because the beach grown in the U.S. is just like firewood. And it's, it's gorgeous wood and it's, it's awesome. It's super heavy, super damp. It just it, it machines really nice and, and it just gives the ski an amazing feel. And then in addition to the um, wood core change, and the side cut and the camber changes, we started playing with the shape of the tetanol metal laminate within the ski. Cause there's, there's two sheets in the ski, one above the core and one below the core. And we, when you run a, when you run tetanol in a ski that has semi cap, like all of our skis, you really don't want to run that full width on the ski just because that small little radius that, that the semi cap has like the, the tetanol isn't want to, isn't going to want to conform to that shape and stay there. Um, so essentially we have to make the tetanol a little bit more narrow than the overall ski width while playing with the width of the tetanol and the overall length. Like, do we run it all the way up in the tip? Do we bring it back? Like, well, how can we make this ski quiet, have a nice flex and, and, and just work right. You know, Brought the tetanol out of the tip a little bit, um, and it actually made the ski quieter um, up in the front. And then also what we did is, which is a unique thing um, on the Commander Series, is we are now running the tetanol full width underfoot. And so that means that our tooling, so the ski has semi-cap um in the front and like in front of the binding and behind the binding, but it goes to vertical sandwich construction underfoot. Um, so like you can see the tetanol underfoot now. Um, so some fancy new tooling that we had to develop there and just that the more tetanol underfoot just really made the ride smooth. It's like a Cadillac. And, um, since the, the commander had a somewhat pretty flat tail before it's even flatter now, uh, people tend to use, you know, these heavy skis with pivot 18s on them with flat tails as walking sticks as they get into the Gandhi and the tails can see some pretty big abuse. Uh, so what we're running now on the tails of the commanders is, is a tail block. So it's just like a, it's a highly, not highly, it's a modified tip tail spacer that goes you know, protects the base material and all that. So there's really no seams in the tail. So if you do, you know, use it as a walking stick and, and hit it on a sharp rock, there's no chance for um, you to start like splitting those laminates. So it's just, it's just way more durable. Um, and yeah, I think that that covers, uh, covers it. 
but actually, no, we, I, I will continue to talk about this on the side cut of the ski. Um, one thing we did is when we, when we looked at this ski and we were testing it, um, the, when we originally were extending the effective edge of the ski, um, we were modifying it off of the original commander side cut and a lot of the athletes and employees and, and just friends that ride this ski, a lot of them were mounting the ski forward of our recommended mount point. Um, and I finally started skiing my own pair of 108s like that. Um, but what ends up happening when you take a ski that's, you know, recommended for like a minus 10 mount and you move it forward, um, you know, it's just, it's a lot more center mounted and the benefits of having all that tip in front of you, you're, you're, you're kind of sacrificing some of the attributes on how that ski was intended. Um, and the thing is, is when we were moving it forward, the ski was a little bit more fun, um, for, for a more modern free ride style. Um, you just wouldn't get as worn out, um, at the end of the day on it. And it was a little bit more nimble and tight spots. Um, but our thought process was, is like, okay, if people are moving the, the mount forward to more of like a minus eight, minus seven, minus six, it's like, well, you know what? We have a lot of skis that are already mounted there, you know, like, yeah, they have rocker tails and, and all these other things and they're, they're very different skis, but it's like, well, why is every ski we make just ski really good? Like right on six or seven, you know, like, let's make a, let's make a good directional ski. Like let's change the side cut. So it works right. You know, so like, so the athletes, so Tyler curl can get on this pair and not move the bindings forward to get that in front of the apex of the side, side cut, like sensation that he likes on all the skis. Cause he mounts everything we make forward. And a lot of like free ride athletes do, you know, I think Cody Townsend skis, most of his Solomon's like center mounted. Um, but it's just like a thing that athletes love to do. So what we said, what we did is we changed the side cut. So it's like, no, 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 no. Do not mount forward. We already moved the side cut back. <laughs> like, so you don't need to move your bindings. So you're going to have that same, like, you're going to be positioned in the side cut in that same like place that you like to be like, yes, there's also the argument for like having a more balanced ski and having more tail. Um, but as far as the turn goes, we've achieved that with how we modified the side cut and the mount point. Um, so now we're, we're really adamant and we got a lot of athletes on it. Like, so when Tyler was testing this last year, it was like, dude, don't, don't move the bindings, like trust us. And he was like, okay, cool. And he like, finally was like, oh wow, this, this is awesome. Um, and, uh, he'll probably still move his bindings a little farther forward just cause he wants more tail, uh, for landing. It's a little easier. Um, a little more stable and balanced, but, um, he still really liked it at the recommended mount point, like more than he, he ever has liked the directional ski. I'm looking at the moment website right now. What you've got up still is saying it's saying for under dimensions, mount point of minus 10 centimeters. Just, we're talking about you brought the mount forward on the commander. The commander 108 was never. No, the commander used to be like minus 10 as well. But people were always mounting it at minus six to eight. So now, and like we would tell younger guys that bought the ski, like, oh yeah, if you're not, don't have like a super heavy race back background and don't want a super directional ski mount of four, it rips, you know? So now we, we're not recommending that we're recommending the, the recommended mount point of minus 10. We used to have like kind of two mount points, depending on your style. And most of the time we would recommend people go forward. So like the old mount point was never like most common mount point that we saw people use on the commander, if that makes sense. You haven't said anything about weight. Weight. Yeah, it's heavier. <laughs> I feel like I've just been sitting here this entire time just being like, when is he going to be like, yeah, you know, you were right and we made it heavier. But so I was giving you that like a long runway to just step up, say it. You never did. So here's the thing. I'm juvenile, man. I'm never going to say you're right. I, we came to our own conclusions uh -huh. that, uh -huh. <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> no, as, as we, as we added the, the tetanol and we were like, when, when, when Fossa was saying overkill is underrated, we kept on pushing that ski and pushing that ski with new materials, heavier materials, more metal. The ski just kept on 
wanting more and kept on skiing better and better. Weird. And hmm. now, weird, I know, huh. right? Uh, you need to have a boot that can push it. Um, but, and a binding as well. But, uh, yeah, now the, we're not releasing official weights yet because the commander is one of the, we're, we've been producing all summer long. Um, but the commander is like going into production now and we don't like to put out, um, weights until we can take like a large sample of all of our production weights, weigh them all and give an average. And that's how we do the weights on the site. Um, but anyway, the commander, what I will say is that the commander 108, 188 is heavier than the commander 118, 188. So that's pretty substantial. And it's, it's coming in at about, and I'm going to tell you in pounds because grams are for Europeans, even though we do every thing else, metric. A pair of Commander 108, 188s is coming in at about like 10.3, 10.4 pounds for the pair. 10.2 or 10.3 pounds for the pair. Yeah. I can only think about ski weight in terms of grams. So that literally doesn't mean anything to me, but, um, you're, you're in front of a computer. You can do the conversion. <sighs> so much work, so much work. Okay. So anyway, what is it? 10 something pounds. Just, just put, well, let's low ball. Let's go 10.2, 5.1 LB two G in Google. And it will tell you, you never can trust Google. I'm not doing that right now. I'm, I'm locked in on this conversation. And basically what I'm just sitting here dying to say is Pretty much the story that I've heard you tell here is you were like, let's make a touring ski with a lot of tip taper. And then it became the commander. And then you were like, you know what would be better? A heavier ski with less tip taper. So, Luke, um, I feel like there's this website uh, called Blister. You should read it sometime. Oh, man. <laughs> we, can, we just can't listen to everybody. Everyone's got an opinion, man. No, and, and so you know, 5.1 pounds is like, it's 2,313 grams. It's a solid, it's a nice weight for a 108 underfoot ski that's 188 centimeters long. That's, that's good. I would, like, that's good. That is a good weight. That is solid. Dude, whatever. I'll take it, man. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Vin Diesel, man. Come on. Fast and the Furious. Okay. <laughs> Do you know that I've never watched any of those movies? And I really feel like I'm missing out on an important piece of like Americana or something. Like I've honestly only watched like, you know, the Cody Townsend, LJ Strenio clip. Like I've watched that like a thousand times. Should I like sit down sometime and like knock out all of the Fast and the Furious series? Uh, It's been a really long time since I've seen that. I think I've seen the first like one or two. I think there's like a lot now. Um, I also think that Blister should start a movie review site because I think in all of our conversations and all the other ones I listen to, you always talk to everyone about movies. So I, I don't have that much time these days to watch them. So it's like by like kind of talking about them, it's a little bit of, that's how I kind of get my fix. But I would love this. I think... Yeah, if people think we should spin off into a blister movie review site, I would be I'd be all about it. Cuz then I could I then I'd have to watch movies. So it'd be perfect, right? Like right now, it's like if I'm doing that, I'm not working on something at Blister and so it's a problem. I I'd, I'd be into this. I think mostly I end up talking about movies a lot with you for some reason. Well, a lot of our old ski names came from movies. Well, that's why. Yeah, so but, there's yeah, there's a reason. Yeah. Okay. But Andrus is always trying to get you to watch some crap. Oh, uh, yeah, that was, I'm out. That was the, like, when he came with that Dead Alive recommendation, I was like, I'm out on you, Scott. I'm never, ever taking another of your movie recommendations. I made it, like, less than 90 seconds through the, like, trailer. So, yeah. So, you definitely, I'll give you this. You definitely, apparently, definitely have better taste in movies than Andrus perfect i'll take it i'll take it you were kind of rolling a little in and out there talking about the commander series but it seemed like you were primarily talking about the 108 so i'm gonna kind of assume that most of the things you've said aside from like the the move to european beach which most of the commanders got 
But what about people who are like, I don't care about the 108. Tell me more about the 98. So the 98 has always just been the little brother to the 108. Um, sometimes when you slim things down, you need to tweak the side cut a little bit, but all those changes, everything from the, the side cut and the longer effective edge, the flatter tail, the core, um, the metal, all that is also all happening in the 98. Um, and also the commander, there's a lot of changes. So I had to talk a long time about those. Uh, the commanders now have a, the 98 and the 108 have a new, um, new lengths that we structured them a little differently. Um, so look, for example, the 108 comes in a 176, a 182, a 188 and a 194. And to stay on the theme of all these new updates, uh, and materials, one thing, um, that I will say about every ski in the 2020 lineup is that now all of the black base on of our, on our skis, which is most of the base on any ski that we make, um, no longer comes from our previous manufacturer that we used from day one. Uh, we're bringing all of our base in, uh, from a European vendor. Uh, it is in our tests just as durable. It's, um, carbon infused and has better wax retention. Um, so what we wanted to improve over our previous base was that our previous ba base was awesome as a Duracell 4001 is bomb proof and it was great. It's super hard, but like the wax retention was a little bit less than some of the higher grade European stuff. Uh, the vendor, the supplier who makes it, their tolerances are not that high. So it um, allowed for, it created a lot more work in the grind room to achieve a flat ski um, just because of the inconsistencies of the material. And then also the black, when like the base dried out a little bit, like the black wasn't a vivid black anymore, um, which is just an aesthetic thing. And I guess it's a good indicator that, hey, you need to wax me. But um, <laughs> the new base is dimensionally way more stable. Uh, it's just as durable. Uh, and it's faster with the carbon. And the carbon also just makes it look black and badass all the time. Um, so we've been testing that for, for quite a long time. We've tested this longer than just last winter um, before. Because this was like a huge move. Because like... Dursur 4001 is like a really good product and we wanted to make sure that, that we were getting something and, and better to put in the skis. Um, and so, yeah, we're really excited about that. And then additionally, all the sidewall for the history of moment had always been UHMWPE, which is ultra high molecular weight polyethylene. That has all been transitioned to a, uh, an ABS from that same base supplier in Europe. Um, and so we used to, in original marketing of moment 10 plus years ago, would, would bash on ABS a little bit. Cause it used to suck like back in the nineties. Um, you, if you got like a, a nice rock strike, um, you could crack the ABS and you couldn't really crack UHMW uh, under the same forces. And since then the European raw ski good suppliers that, that we use and essentially every other ski company uses, um, have definitely engineered their ABS to, to handle the colder temperatures and the impacts associated, um, with skiing. Um, and they, and the ABS now is just awesome. And so what this allows us to do is to make the problem with UHMW is the only problem really was that it just is incredibly time consuming and so much labor to make it bond correctly. Um, and we did that and we, we didn't have any issues with the bonding, but it was just like, you had to do it right. We 
did testing, we tried to be like, hey, what if we don't do this step or we modify the process? Like, no, every time you wanted to make the UHMW bond, right? It was just super laborious. Um, the ABS, you can drop it on the floor, put greasy cheeseburger fingers all over it and, uh, you know, put it in the ski and it still bonds. Like, we obviously don't do that, but um, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's way less labor on the manufacturing side in the grind room to polish it and finish it. Um, our UHMW, I think when we, the last couple of years we were doing, I think we had some of the shiniest, prettiest UHMW in, in the ski world. Um, and we put a lot of labor into that and to achieve those aesthetic results with ABS to make it just look gorgeous. And, you know, skis are expensive. You want them to ski well and you want them to look good too. So to achieve that with the ABS, it was also less labor. Um, so, you know, we get a better bond, uh, we're, we're, we have a more efficient manufacturing process as our volume grows every year and it, it just looks better. And also if you do get a gnarly, uh, rock impact and, you know, edge sidewall decompression, the ABS, if you do want to try salvage your skis, it's going to be way easier to try to patch your ski up with ABS than UHMW. So just curious when you, you know, like you said, you used to be like, we hate ABS. We don't think it's good. ABS has gotten better. How do you go about deciding to make this change across the lineup? Is it that somebody comes to you and is like, yo, I know you used to hate ABS, but you should check it out. It's good now. And then they, are you relying then on just a bunch of like data from their own testing or do you get some of this material, build up some different moment skis and go check it out yourself? Like, I don't think there's like a right answer here. I'm just curious, like, how do you come and, and then get to the point where you're like, yep, you know what? We're switching. Yeah, no, I mean, things like that, like the base and the sidewall were honestly kind of scary changes to make. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I can tell you just droned on about it for like 20 minutes. So I, I think you you've captured we've captured your sense of hesitance and nervousness well i just don't want to be here and be like oh abs is better and have all these people be like wait 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 i remember 12 years ago in your catalog you said abs sucks and i'm like i just want to be transparent with people yeah i appreciate you know, that and not lie in the marketing or whatever so i just wanted to be like kind of clear that up because it's easier for me to talk to you about this than just like uh you know jabber away to trolls on the tgr forum you know so <laughs> um yeah. Shots no, fired. Mean, shots fired. Come at me, Mags. Let's see what you got. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really difficult. Sometimes a, a vendor or supplier will come to us and, you know, some, usually when that happens, it's like some weird new material that, that hasn't been tested. Uh, for us, it was for the, for the sidewall. It was honestly, when we were looking at the growth of the company every year and we were looking at like how to improve the factory like all the time we're always like making new widgets or new machines or whatever to, to improve it um we kept on looking at the sidewall and we're like man there's so much work here and we always knew that abs bonded like really well because we have played we have played with it over the years and we're like you know what like i know i'm like you know just knowing and seeing other skis on the mountains i know that that abs is better and i know that it has gotten better over the years just from you know, the ski world is small. Like I talked to a lot of other people that are making skis out there. Um, so I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe we should give ABS another shot and bring some in. So, you know, we called Europe because we get the, the supplier that we're now getting our base and top our, our base and sidewall from we've for the last several years received our top sheet from them. So we just called up Europe and, uh, they sent over some samples. And so we were testing that along with the base for, for a long time. Um, and, and we were putting it in skis, we were skiing it, we were, you know, putting it in a freezer and bringing it out and hitting it with hammers. We were bonding stuff and cutting up skis and, you know, putting stuff in between wedges in between it and hitting it with hammers and, and seeing it tear apart. And, um, just while we were doing that, we would also make these sample variations of the UHMW just so we weren't using our old data and our old numbers. We just wanted to re-benchmark everything. And on essentially every test, like the ABS just kicked the UHMW's ass. Like it just was, we're like, man, this is, this is awesome. And, um, 
yeah, so we saw we saw zero problems with it. And so we were really, even though in all of our testing, we tested a lot of skis and, and did a lot of just like you know, peel tests and, and impact tests in-house, it was still kind of a, a scary move to, to do that with the, with the sidewall. And the base, we just did that because our U.S. vendor who was making the Durasurf, like just, I talked to them forever about making a better base and, and they just weren't open to it at all. They wouldn't even get back to me. So they didn't care. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go talk to someone who does care, you know, so. Got it. That was well yeah. done. Let's move on. I really enjoyed that base material nerdery and sidewall nerdery. Let's talk about the Wildcat series. Wildcat series. The new ski in the Wildcat series this year is the Wildcat 101. The Wildcat 108 comes back unchanged and the uh, Wildcat 116, 118 comes back um, with a core change. So I guess I'll start with that. The, the Fat Cat, the, the 116, 118 variation, it used to, for the last several years, have an Aspen Pine core. And as we were playing with the Commander and all these different materials, we made that ski with some, some different wood in the core. And so now nothing on the ski has changed except for the core. And the hardwood is now ash instead of pine. So it gives the ski a little bit more weight and it's a little bit quieter and more damp. And so pretty minimal change, but I think a lot of people that like some of the slightly heavier bibbies in the past will be really happy with that tweak on that ski. And then also pretty much all the skis outside of the Commander series, like the men's skis used to just come in a 174, 184, and 190. Um, the 74 to 84 centimeter jump was pretty big for uh, certain people. So now all the Wildcats the death wish and all the tour variations also come in a 179 length. Yep. So then why like with the commander series, do you do the 182 to 188 jump? Luke Kopp and I have very strong opinions on ski lengths and what lengths they should be offered in. We, this is not to suggest, you know, we, we, we do respect and recognize other opinions on this, but I'm curious, like why, if you're going with a 182 to 188 on the commander, you know, do you do the 174, now 179, then 184, then 190 when it comes to the Wildcats? The floor is yours. Yeah, and I have a great answer for this because we think about this stuff a lot. So here's the thing. If you look at like a Death Wish or a Wildcat, the longest length is a 190. And in my opinion, 99.9% .9 of people do not need a ski longer than a Wildcat 190 as their do-everything powder ski. And so when we make, we, so we kind of start at the top when we, because when we prototype skis, at least the men's line, like myself and everyone else at the factory here, we're all pretty tall and we all ski like a 188, 190. So that's that's where we start <laughs> and then we bring it down. Um, and so when we would bring down the, the, like the wildcat series, we're like, okay, we'll do a six centimeter jump. We'll go down to 184. And then, um, you know, it's like back when we were doing the sizing on that ski, it's like, okay, well, molds are a lot of money. Tooling's a lot of money. It's like, we can only have so many sizes, you know? So it was like, we'll just go down to a 74 and that will accommodate a lot of people. You know, and we did that for years and it worked very well. And now that we have the demand and more people are asking for it, now we add to 79. But if you look at a commander series and you get this directional super stiff ski with metal in it, you get the guy, the Jackson Hole local or ski patroller that 190 isn't enough. And so that's why we make it in a 194. But if we made it and we made the the commander 108 and a 190 to 194 that's like that's too close so you'd almost if we made a commander 108 190 we'd almost have to make like a 196 and that's just kind of insane um in our opinion so we start at the top again and we go 194 then we bring it down to 188 and what we wanted to do is we wanted to tighten up those the size the length gaps um in the more realistic sizes because last year it was like uh, 
188 to 178. So now we tighten that up. So it's the skis are more accessible to more height. So we go 88, 82, 76. Um, so we feel like we balanced out the lengths a lot more in the commander. And then by adding the 79 to all the other skis, we feel like, you know, you're looking at more of like a six centimeter jump between things versus that 10 that we used to have. Um, so it added a lot of molds, a lot of tooling, a lot of cost to production, but, uh, we think it's worth it. All right. Pretty decent answer. I'll give you credit for that one. Let's get back to the Wildcats. What else should we know? So the Wildcat 108 is unchanged. That ski was our best-selling ski last year. Uh, people love that. Which means it took over the Death Wish, right? Yeah, the Death Wish was like an incredibly close second. Okay. Like incredibly close. Like they went back and forth all year, but I think at the end of the year, just like probably no more than a couple percent more on the Wildcat okay. 108. Yeah. Um, Death Wish is still super strong. Um and, um, anyways, back to the Wildcats, um, so the 108s unchanged, just the new graphic and materials that we spoke about base and sidewall. And the 101 is new ish. A lot <laughs> of people have been coming to the site and they say, where's the PB and J and the PB and J was essentially always a Wildcat 101. Um, and the Wildcat 101 just isn't and the pb and j wasn't a slim down 108 it was very very close but um just had its own we blended the side cuts a little differently just because it's a little narrower and a little bit more on piece specific so we went to make a bunch of different prototypes to try to make the pb and j better and it was a very very difficult task the wildcat 101 is incredibly similar to the PB&J. The side cut was modified uh, slightly, mainly up at the widest parts of the tips and tail, where we call that the blend zone, where it kind of tapers out. Um, just makes for a little bit of a nicer, smoother turn initiation and turn release. Um, and then that 101 also has an Aspen ash core in it, where the PB&J used to have a pine core um, for most of its life. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just a slightly updated PB and J, but now it actually lives under the wildcat family where it always should have. So my question though, is, you know, when that PB and J first came out, it really was kind of positioned as like this kind of freestyle or park oriented ski that you could still go ski all around the mountain. Would you say that with the updates, the PB and J kind of skews slightly more, a lot more toward what we might just call like a pretty playful all mountain ski. Or are you still thinking this would be a good option, like literally to go take into the park? Both. So like when we, when we make skis and there's a more cohesive, like naming of our skis now. And when you go to our website and you know, like the Wildcats and the Death Wish and the Meridians are in like this freestyle bucket. And then there's a free ride bucket. You know, you need like there's people that dork out on skis and all the brands and, and know what every ski does. But for like everyone, you need to kind of put everything in a bucket and have it make sense for when they're shopping for skis. Right. And so we try to make this process is for us to try to make it very um, easy to understand, because in years past, we've made a lot of skis that overlap with each other like crazy just because like it was you know and it's fun as a ski maker and as a skier but like as a business choice it's it's really stupid <laughs> and so um you know we're like let's let's like figure this collection out and so the thing is about the pb and j and most of our descriptions were written kind of with that park inspired attitude in them but how we've always spoke about it to a a customer, you know, if they want to ski in that waste with, and it's an older guy, um, I don't mention that it's park inspired, but I would argue to say that the wildcat, the, the fat version, the 118 is, I don't know, park inspired as well. Cause that's why it's freestyle. That's why it has a modern mount point of minus six. It's closer to center. So that's all we're saying by freestyle is that the mount point is like modern and it is going to have a rocker tail. 
And so as park skiing has changed over the years, park skis used to be like 80 underfoot. And then they got softer and rockered and wider. So yes, the PB&J Wildcat 101 does fit the, like the younger guy, like probably not a teenager anymore in his, you know, twenties used to rip in the park and is getting older and gets hurt easier. Like he can still go take some laps on the PB&J in the park, like totally. But is it going to be a really versatile all mountain ski that's like playful and easy to rip? Yeah, totally. So I think it does it all, but I don't mention that park portion of it to, to like the older consumer of the ski. And I don't think that, um, I don't think it hurts it as an all mountain playful ski. Okay. Just curious if you were like, if how you were positioning and talking about that thing kind of had evolved, but, um, uh, where are we going next? Well, we got the Meridian and the death wish. Like I said, death wish is like number one, number two, bestseller hasn't changed except for the one set that comes in a 179 centimeter as well. Meridian is unchanged. And then we can, I'm just on the website as well. We can scroll down to the tour, tour collection. All the tour skis, we have the Death Wish. So all of our tour skis are just lighter builds of our resort skis. They have a Polonia and Ash in the core, a uh, different composite structure of fiberglass and carbon fiber, more carbon to save some weight. And they'll have a little fishtail for them on the back so your skins don't slide off um, when you're doing kick turns. So we have the Deathwish Tour variation, Wildcat Tour 108, and the Wildcat Tour, the Fat Cat, the 116, 118 uh, Fat Cat. And so all those come unchanged. Uh, they get the material upgrades, and they all now come in a 179 centimeter length as well, uh, and new graphics. Um, what are sales like in your touring section? Is there like, this is far and away like the number one ski in that segment, or is it a bit more divvied up evenly across the touring skis i'm pretty sure the death wish tour was our best touring ski seller last year that or the wildcat 108 it's like neck and neck with those two as well yeah right yeah but the but the fat cat tour does uh does very well does very well especially because it's not a lot of people have a touring ski that wide uh, at that weight mark as well so and then Probably you could just go ahead and add onto the website, take the commander skis from like last season and just now just put those in the touring section and be like, if you're looking for a really lightweight, heavily tapered tip ski to shred the backcountry, here it is. We just used to call it a resort ski. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. No, we have, we have an athlete. His name is Luke Smithwick and he is like big mountain backcountry dude that goes and spends like a lot of his season uh in the himalayas and he's working on a crazy project to ski like all these different lines that have never been skied um look him up on social media he's he does he's doing a lot of cool stuff um really really kind of low-key guy but just gets in the mountains and is an animal um but he he tours on the commander 98 um like even on these huge ascents and it's just, yeah, he loves it. He loves that ski. Um, I don't think we actually got him on a new prototype, so he might want the old one still. We'll see. (laughs) Women's side. Talk to me about the women's skis. Women's skis. Yeah. So we definitely had quite a few updates on the women's skis as well. The women's skis traditionally have come in two lengths, a 162 and 172. And there's a lot of, I love, I love women cause they, they will tell you what they think about graphics or sizing or everything a lot more than the guys will. Um, and I love it. I love it. And the biggest demand we had was, uh, to make our skis shorter. And I know there's like a lot of women out there. We do, we have heard a lot of women that want our women's skis to be in, in longer lengths as well. But right now you can achieve that longer length by going to the men's ski you don't get the same graphic but we don't shrink and pink and make our women's skis wimpy so the women's skis are are just a continuation of the men's line at shorter lengths with feedback from women to tweak the flex and the side kit and they're all ripping skiers that we get this feedback from because you know like 
there's no point in me getting on like a 152 um, at at 6'2". But um, anyways, yeah, so the the Hot Mess and the Sierra and the Bella all come in a 152 now, along with the 62 and 72 that they've always uh, come in. And um, we also added the Bella 116. So that's like a women's wildcat, like a fat cat. Um, so that's really cool. And that right now is just coming in the 62 and the 72. Um, uh, but yeah, we're really excited about that ski. It's really cool to have like that, that short, like wildcat, which is the Bella 116. And, um, so we got a bunch of women on that last year and it was, it was cool. Yeah. And they, they got all the same love as far as all the material upgrades and everything else. So we just, we expanded that, the, the sizes and gave them a, a new ski and that fatter variation. So yeah, that's, that's the women's line there. And the hot mess is essentially the, uh, wildcat. Well, it's skinnier than one one, but it's like the wildcat one one, but the hot mess is, I should know this off the top of my head. It is 87 to 91 underfoot. And then the Sierra is just like a slightly shorter and more narrow death wish. And, the the Bella is just a, uh, a shorter wildcat 108. And now the Bella 116 is a fat cat. I think that covers everything. Yeah. I mean, we didn't mention the Kami, which sort of exists. And for the, for the 10 people out there who have been listening this entire time to hear something about the Kami, say something about the Kami for their sake. Fuck. Yeah. Booyah. That's what <laughs> Greg harms. Uh, he runs third edge heli. That's, that's his motto. That's all he says. He's, he's a badass. And he, he and his whole team of guides are like the driving force of what keeps that ski around. I mean, they have the original commies. They get them every year and, and they get their, um, their clients on them. And it's just, they just love it. And then we still make it and offer it to everybody. It, it is a big ski. It is a lot of work, but it's a ton of fun before you get worn out. You really need a lot of open space to rip on that ski. Um, we're going to keep it around uh, in the reserve collection. It's fun. And we, it's surprising how many of those things we sell. They're, they're, we, we make quite a few of them, <laughs> which is, and they're kind of a ba- pain in the butt to make, that swallowtail and everything like that. It's like two massive snowboards. Everyone listening to this should buy a pair just mostly so to make Luke's life harder. I guess it's like I'd be kind of trying to spite you, but I'd also be helping you if everybody did that. So I don't know. I'm conflicted right now. Yeah, it is what it is. Hmm. Helpful spite. Well, since I guess we broached the topic of the reserve collection, there still is the Chipotle banana. There is the ghost train. There's the Frankenblade. You just said the, and then the Commander 124 is in the reserve collection. Would the Kami actually be the best selling ski in the reserve collection? Does it have any competition there? No. The best selling ski in the reserve collection is the Frankenblade. Awesome. Good job. <laughs> Good job, everybody. It's, it's really bad, like how many of those we sell. And like when we first put them up, we, we added the, the product to our store on like, it was like, whatever, like a year or two ago when the first blade went up a couple graphics ago. And uh, we put it up on a Friday and you get like a little notification on like a, on our, from our store, like on your phone and it like kind of like dings and you got a sale and how much you made. And so it's like dinging a lot and in the winter times, like, but we're pretty used to that. But we, we left work and we didn't even promote it. And maybe, maybe like Tyler posted something about it on Instagram. But like an hour later, I looked down at my phone and like it was just, I was scrolling through my screen and there's all these messages of all these transactions. And they were all like the price of the, the whatever the blade was. Then we sold it a little bit cheaper before. Um, and it was just insane. And like we just kept on having to add more inventory and make more before they were even all through grinding. And at a certain point, we were like, this is, I mean, it's funny and it's cool that people want them, but it's like, even though our, like, they're expensive, they're like $199 for snow blades without bindings. But what's cool about them is you can actually put a real binding on them. You don't need to use like a stupid little snowler blade, uh, like those little heel lock binding things, you know? And so like people put Pivot 18s on them and stuff. Um, 
and we made them to compete in the pain McSchlonky. And uh, we always have people on the podium with them. But anyways, like, yeah, we just, we had to stop making them. Because, like, even though they're an expensive snowblade, man, like, there's, as a on business side of things, like, they, they are not, um, they are not a profit center. <laughs> and um, also, there were, like, people, there's, like, still people that are, like, really into snowblading. And yeah. I know this culture still existed. And... Like we were having people like reach out to us, like thinking we were a, a snowler blade company, you know? And they were like, well, what do you like, are you going to offer any other blades like this, this, and that? And, um, <laughs> like, no, this is the only one. Like, and then they were like upset that their snowler blade bindings wouldn't work on it <laughs> and so on and so forth. And I was like, we need it. So like, it's like a seasonal release now. Um, we just have like less than five of them left from last year. Typically it's something we make every spring. We'll do it again this spring. So if you want a pair of blades before spring, you got to jump on the last couple pairs that are on there now. It sounds like you need to raise your prices. This is a supply and demand question, Luke. We did when we, so they're 99 centimeters. Cause there's like a rule about like, you can run a non-releasable binding if the ski is shorter than <laughs> 99 centimeters. So like, that's like the length of blades. I don't know. Jason Leventhal can fact check me on that, but there's some rule like that. Um, and so that's why like a lot of blades are fist regulations of snow blades. It's like a binding safety thing. So uh -huh. you don't get sued. Yeah. But anyways, we started it and we sold them for a dollar a centimeter. They were, they started at $99. <laughs> and the thing is, is like we had made like a hand, like a couple dozen for ourselves and friends for the pay McSchlonky. Yeah. And I never like, and we were like, well, let's just make like 25 more for like, just for fun, you know, and put them on the website. And so like, we had never really done the cost analysis on a snowblade. <laughs> like we just thought it'd be funny to like, and this is like a, a price thing that we would have done like 15 years ago. Like our the original moment park ski was $420. Cause we thought that was funny. Um, but we had no idea what our costs were back then. And like, I made a stupid mistake and like, didn't even think that we would like really sell these blades or whatever. And that first batch of snowblades, I think we made like, 200 to 250 blades and like every every like week or couple days we would increase the price to where it's at today and people wouldn't stop buying them um so yeah but still even at 199 like we're barely making any money on them go to two go to 299 man dude this is seriously Feel free to, you know, hit me up about pricing questions and whether you should make really lightweight inbound skis. I'm happy to take your call at any time, but just raise your prices. The people want their Frankenblades. That's what they're telling you. Yeah. No, we, this is our gift to, uh, <laughs> to skiers that they can get on and blade and, you know, have a fun day at a uh, affordable price. All right. All right. Yeah. I want to let you get going, but before I do, I'm going to have you take part in our new tradition of ending the week and ending these Gear 30 episodes with the, uh, the what we're celebrating this week segment. You know, we started this when uh, we were in some rather dark times, and so I just thought, you know, we should get into that practice of taking a minute every week and reflecting on what we're grateful for. Last week, my answer was Damian Lillard, which probably wouldn't mean anything to you because I'm not sure you're a basketball fan, but he plays for the Portland Trailblazers and he's basically playing better than anyone has ever played basketball right now. So that's what I was grateful for last week. What do you got, Luke? You got anything for us? Uh, well, I just want to know, do you listen to a podcast called Make Me Smart with Kai Rizdahl and Molly Wood? No. Because they do this uh -uh. on their podcast every Friday. It's like their new thing since COVID hit. I'm just, it sounds like you ripped it off, man. But anyway, since COVID hit, they, they started doing it daily. And then because of like COVID and like all the craziness in, in the world, the last several months, every Friday they would end it with, they had to come with a happy story. And this sounds like I need a happy story. Well, just whatever you're grateful for. Also, if you've been listening to this podcast, their podcast a lot, has it worked? Like, are you smart now? Uh, I don't know, man. You might need to give me a test. 
Um, I think we had that test with the pricing of the Frankenblade, but just one man's opinion. Can't win them all. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're thankful for a basketball player last week, I guess. Like, it doesn't need to be like something super uh, meaningful like you need to say around the Thanksgiving table, right? I would give thanks for how well Damian Lillard is playing basketball right now because it's like literally, it's like Michelangelo level stuff. So I might actually say that around the Thanksgiving dinner table, but again, that's just me. But yeah, whatever. It's an open, the, the floor is yours. Uh, don't, be, don't be bashful. Don't be afraid. I'm thankful that my, my ribs are feeling better. I crashed on my motorcycle a couple of weeks ago and I'm feeling better and feeling healthy. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that also everyone at the factory and, and friends and family are still healthy from this COVID thing. You're riding a motorcycle now? I've always had a, I've always had a street bike. I've had a Triumph Thruxton. Huh. Um, but no, I went, I used to ride dirt bikes growing up and my girlfriend loves them. And, uh, I went and bought a dirt bike to be cool. Like Matt Sturbins and yeah, fuck. Took took a little spill on it, like right, th- like the first day I got it, and uh, busted my ribs pretty good. So, um, oh, so this was yeah. a dirt bike, not a street. This wasn't a street ride. You were dirt yeah, biking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was up in Tahoe. Yeah, dirt biking. Yep. Okay. You know what's funny is the thing that I was thinking about the what I'm grateful for this week was actually like walking away from weird mountain bike crashes where like you just crash for some, like you don't see it coming, you wreck, but you just kind of pop up and you're totally fine. Yeah. Because I had one of those happen uh, this week and it's just like, man, there's a lot of like many, many ways when you could pop up and not be fine. So you're thankful for, I guess, healing ribs and mine was going to be like those weird mountain bike crashes when you just pop up and you're like, wow, somehow I'm totally fine right now. So, yeah, I wish I had one of those crashes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I feel you. I tell you. Maybe we should somehow say, like, we're thankful for how cool Matt Sturbin's really truly is on his dirt bike. Like, it's really something else. Like, you know, if you're just talking to the guy, you're like, eh, you're all right. Like, kind of cool. But, like, when you see him all decked out on his like big bike and stuff, you're like, dude, you're pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, he's a rad dad. He's a rad dad. And his son has a matching motorcycle with like the same sponsor stickers on it and everything <laughs> like that. I think it's I think it's so cool. Um yeah. Um he he loves his uh he loves his like road bikes and his dirt bikes and stuff, man. And whatever he does, like Matt Matt rips. So, yeah, he's a cool guy. But I like that Sturbin's made it into our what we're somehow celebrating <laughs> this week. So, I I feel like that's good. I feel like our work here is done. Yeah, we had a lot of call-outs. We had Andrus, we had Leventhal, we had, we had Sturbins. We're bringing, yeah. them all, bringing all the rest of the industry in. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I'm going to let you get going. Good, as always, to run down the line. I'm glad we, you know, sorted a few things out for you. I always like, you know, to have one or two elements, like takeaways from our conversations, actionable takeaways. I'm not going to repeat them. I hope you, I hope they've stuck with you and, you know, you know, feel free to use them as you wish. Yep. Now we just need to get you uh, all these new skis and I need a new uh, list of action items yeah. for, uh, for next year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll start working on that. Hey, um, thanks a lot. Say hi to everybody at the factory and I hope you all stay safe and keep it going and have fun building a bunch of skis. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for having me on again. Always fun. All right, man. Talk to you later. Yep. Cheers. Well, that is it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Luke for the conversation. And you can head over to momentskis.com to check out all of the stuff that we just talked about. And then, I don't know, what do you think? Blister movie reviews? Should we do it? Hit us up on Instagram or leave us a comment in the show notes to this episode if that's something we should do. The only thing is, we definitely won't be reviewing any movies that Scott Andrus recommends. So we're just going to draw a line in the sand right there. Anyway, I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And, you know, if you are enjoying these Gear 30 conversations, we would really, truly, really appreciate it if you would leave us that nice little rating or review in Apple Podcasts. And you know the drill. If you've listened to at least five of these, I think it might be time to leave the rating. Now, if you're new to this, don't worry about it. But when you get to five, if you haven't left the rating, it's time. 
Plus, ski season is going to be here before you know it, and we are going to be rewarding you, our dear Gear 30 listeners, with those blister crash course videos. So really, if you don't leave a review, it's kind of like you're choosing to lessen the amount of future happiness that you have to look forward to. So why would you do that to yourself? Anyway, thanks everybody. And we will talk to you again next Friday here on Gear 30. You can catch us on Mondays on the Blister podcast, Tuesdays on our Off the Couch podcast, and Thursdays on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast. And from all of us here in the Gunnison Valley, please be safe out there. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.